Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. Today we have a really cool paper about the world's fastest spinning object. There was a research group at Purdue University who spun up this little tiny piece of sand to 300 billion RPM. This was a fun paper to learn about. I mean, it's a huge world record by orders of magnitude and these superlative episodes are always fun. It's just neat to see how fast or how small or you know how efficient something can go. Plus, there are lasers in this paper. Lasers and vacuum friction. And vacuum friction, yeah. which may sound like a weird, contradictory black hole to you. Yeah, but so it, it was just cool seeing kind of what the applications are for this crazy world record. So we hope you enjoy the episode and thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome to Paper Boys, the podcast where we unravel the research papers behind the latest major headlines in science. My name is Charlie and I'm here, well not really here, I'm there with my co-host James. You're here in spirit, Charlie. You're here in spirit. Yeah. For context, James and I are actually about a thousand miles apart right now. Uh, I'm down in California, he's back up in Seattle, and we're recording this remotely. But it's working out. Yeah. Yeah. One down. This is our second episode doing this remotely, but we're veterans at this point, Charlie. It's not an issue. We are. Yeah, that's true. I guess I've been experimenting in this like crazy historic mansion that I'm living in while I'm down here. There's a lot of like big echoey rooms, which people probably noticed in the audio last week. So I'm kind of experimenting with where I am. Right now I'm like sitting on a bed with like a cutting board as my work surface. (laughs) Dude, you've made it. You're working at NASA. You're living in a mansion. You basically have a room that's dedicated to your podcast studio. AKA my bedroom. Yes. I mean, but yeah, I'm not coming back, James. Sorry. Shoot. (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't hate to go down there. So it could work out. Before we get started, thank you for listening as always. If you haven't already though, please do check us out on social media. Our handle on Instagram and Twitter is at paperboyspod. You can also reach us on by email at paperboyspod at gmail.com, as well as Patreon. If you're enjoying the content, uh, we would really appreciate it if you consider donating to our cause and subscribing. Patreon.com, paperboyspod. Charlie, tell them what they get. So we, we produce a bonus episode every month. We go into some kind of like cool historical science or like some sort of funny science paper. You get that for pie dollars a month. And if you go up in the tiers, we also have videos, which we've started to produce. And we've gotten some good feedback on those as well. You also get a free sticker, which, by the way, I need to clear the air. There's a lot of people who still have some free stickers that need to be sent. And that's because we had this big surge in patrons and I actually ran out of stickers. So I need to order some more before I can mail those out. But so get in now so I know how many stickers to order and and check that out at patreon.com slash paperboyspod. Yeah, check it out. We'd really appreciate it. All right, Charlie. So what do you have for us this week? So... I came across these headlines that were talking about this research group that created the world's fastest spinning object. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So some of these headlines, it kind of caught my attention. Newsweek says, world's fastest spinning object created by scientists, and it rotates at 300 billion RPM. What the heck? That is so fast. It doesn't even sound possible. Like, imagine if your uh, tachometer, what's what's the one in your car that shows you the RPM? I think it's tachometer. 
Anyway, imagine if that little dial in your car went up to 300 billion. Yeah, seriously, that's insane. I mean, I think an electric motor, like in a hard drive or something, formerly in a hard drive, is like 50,000 RPM. Yeah. So also for context, a dentist drill goes at 500,000. Wow. That's actually way faster than I thought. Uh, yes, way faster, but also, you know, we're talking about still nothing in comparison to what these scientists did. So another yeah. another headline was from Tech Explorist, world's fastest spinning object powered by light. Ooh, powered by light. That's a fun fact I was not expecting. I know. I mean, here we were talking about car engines and hard drives. Those are definitely not powered by light. No, I'm a good old-fashioned electrical engineer. I'm like, show me where to plug in the cables, not power this thing by light. Yeah, no. I mean, and when they say light, it's really lasers. So it still is in kind of the realm of things that need to be plugged in. <laughs> okay. Just a uh, distance. But you're not really plugging in this object because it's a very small object, actually. It's a, it's like, you know, 100 nanometers in size. Wow. Still, it's powered by a laser. Come on. Let's just appreciate how cool that is for a second. That automatically, like, ups the cool factor of any technology. Like, yeah, have you heard you about... you can say it's lasers. Have you heard about my design? It's like, uh, uh, you know, whatever. It's like, did I tell you it's powered by lasers? Okay, how many, like, grants do you think were granted in, you know, like, the 80s or so? <laughs> when kind of, like, lasers were still being pioneered and applied? It, like, that was probably, like, the, the machine learning of their time. It was like, well, we're going to make this thing, but we're going to use lasers to do it. And everyone's just applauding. Like... Everyone has lit up a room using conventional light bulbs, and centuries ago, they used candles. In this work, we will light up a room using lasers, and everyone's like, oh, wow. Wow. Edison could have only dreamed of such a revelation. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, the heyday of lasers. But anyways, (laughs) we should probably actually get into the content of this instead of just gushing over lasers. Now, let's just end the episode there. That's pretty much all there was to say. Speaking of lasers, making movies way better, or anything better, did you ever see Moonraker from James Bond? Uh, I never saw that movie, but I definitely played with the laser gun on whatever James Bond it was that had that. You know, the movie could be better than what I thought, but after playing the game James Bond on N64, I was like, man, I gotta see this, a James Bond with lasers, and like, truthfully, the scene with a laser, it's like 20 seconds long, and that was the best scene in the movie. And everything else was really boring. Yeah, I have a feeling that's probably the case with a lot of old Bond movies. Yeah, unfortunately. Okay. Anyway, into the content. The actual paper that this was all based on, uh, it was published in Nature Nanotechnology. And it's called Ultrasensitive Torque Detection with an Optically Levitated Nano Rotor. Wow. Do you want to break that down? It sounds cool, but I could probably use some clarification. Yeah, so, I mean, they say optically levitated nano rotor. So, I mean, a rotor, you just think that's like a, a thing that's spinning in a motor. And it's optically levitated, so they're actually using lasers to suspend this particle and spin it up. Okay. Uh, and then and then the first half of that is ultra-sensitive torque detection. So, the eventual application of this technology they've developed is to actually measure, uh, like, a torque force. Hmm. But, like, very, very, very tiny torques. And we'll get into what those how tiny those torques really are. Okay. Sorry, I just want to give some credit. The first author is Jonghoon An of the School of Electrical and Computer Engineering at Purdue University. And this was published on January 13th, 2020. Great. I mean, I have a lot of questions about this, but do you want to lead the way into it? I mean, I'm going to hold myself back. I'm going to hold myself back. (laughs) 
Why? Well, uh, go ahead. Ask a question. Okay. How do you mag or how do you levitate something with a laser? Uh, okay. Yeah. No, I, I take it back. We'll get to that in a little bit. <laughs> okay. I figured. Um, yeah, I guess just for some background on kind of what they are researching. So I mentioned that they're developing this as a an ultra-sensitive torque sensor. So they give like, a, you know, a, a sentence or two of kind of the history and background on, you know, why we're interested in measuring torque. And they talk about how Henri Cavendish or Henry Cavendish, I, I don't know. I think he's French, maybe. Maybe. Okay, again, I need to check on this. I'm sorry. I'm... I think it's Henry. Oh, he's british wow okay there was just a typo in the paper itself it's henry with a y that but was... the paper said henri with an i can you trust anything else that they say in the paper no pretty much throw the rest of this out now yeah anyway so henry cavendish british scientist not french uh did this experiment in the 1790s which the purpose of which was to uh, measure the density of the earth and by extension measure the gravitational constant uh, capital G, which is our second tier on Patreon, everyone. Go check that out. <laughs> um, and to do that, he actually developed a torsion balance. And so he had this device, uh, which, you know, there's a wooden beam up top and there's a, a wire that's suspending another wooden beam that had these two very heavy lead balls attached to it. Mm-hmm. And then there were these two very small lead balls attached to another one. And, um, you know, you can imagine if you're dangling something on a string and you produce a very small torque on it, it will, I mean, it'll spin and it'll rotate. Yep. Uh, and then eventually it'll kind of stop at some amount of rotation based on the amount of torque that you're applying to it. Yep. So, you know, the twisting force of the wire would balance out the torque that you're producing on the thing. So with these, with these pairs of lead balls, he was actually hoping to measure the gravitational force between those weights. Really? So, yeah. So you have like one really heavy lead ball. It was like, it was insanely heavy, something like 100 kilograms or like 200 kilograms. Uh, And then a very small lead ball that was like, you know, only a pound or something. Okay. And he actually measured the gravitational force between these two things. That's amazing. How close was he? Very. So the gravitational constant is 6.67 times 10 to the minus 11. And I think that the value he calculated... You know, he didn't actually calculate that value, but when you go through and you use his values to calculate it, he gets like 6.74 or something like that. Whoa. So, you know, he's off by less than a percent. And also what was really cool is that when he calculates the density of the earth using this result, he gets an answer of 5.4 grams per centimeter cubed, which is much higher than the density of like the earth's outer crust. So like if you just picked up, you know, a big clump of dirt outside in his yard and measure that density, it would be much less dense than the value that he measured. Yeah. So this was actually like, this experiment was actually the first evidence for us having like this dense iron core. That's so cool. Isn't that That's really like cool? Planetary science using yeah. lead balls and wooden beams. It would be kind of like freaky to make that discovery and be like, wait a second, that's way heavier than what we see. And then just kind of look down and be like, what the hell is inside our planet? What year is this? This was 1798, I think. Wow. That's so crazy. Yeah, it's really cool. Okay. So this is sort of the origin story of measuring torque very finely. What other sorts of applications are there other than using it to find the gravitational constant or the density of Earth? So uh, nowadays, really, really small 
Torques are useful for studying like small-scale magnetism. They also talk about um, the Casimir effect, which, I don't know, is something in, in quantum physics that I won't pretend to understand. Mm-hmm. And then they say, and other applications with some citations following it. So uh, there's obviously some useful things. And then what they specifically refer to at the end of the paper, which we'll talk about at the end, is uh, that they could use this device to measure the vacuum friction, which is a really cool concept that I did not know existed until I read this. But we'll save that kind of for the end. Just a little teaser. Teaser. That's exciting. Vacuum friction. Yeah. Sounds sounds like a counterintuitive concept already. Okay. Well, I can't wait to hear about it. I'm going to stay tuned. (laughs) Yeah. You don't really have a choice in that matter, James. So... (laughs) Okay, so we understand roughly why you want to measure torque at very fine levels um, based on the motivations. But how did they start going about this then? Like, did they have a specific target for how fine they wanted to measure it? Or was there like requirements? I don't know. Um, I don't know if they had a specific target in mind, but they do talk about kind of what the state of the art has been up to now and where they got to. So yeah, state of the art, I think, they say that that like this technology that they're going to use, which is where they levitate this nanoparticle, it says they've they've used this to demonstrate force sensing at the zepto newton scale, which was a cool new word that I learned. Zepto is like a prefix meaning ten to the minus twenty one. It's not something you use every day. No, that's a that's a prefix that is so uncommon. I never had heard of it. Wow. So talking about ten to the minus twenty one newton, and for reference, Henry Cavendish's experiment was measuring at about 10 to the minus 7 newtons. So we've come like an insanely long way. Wow. Okay. I mean, Um, orders and orders of magnitude finer. Yeah. And they say kind of the state of the art in terms of the torque sensitivity for like a nanofabricated sensor is Mm -hmm. about 10 to the minus 24 newton meter per square root hertz, which is a weird unit. I'm not sure why that's the unit they report all these things in, but... But Newton meter is the unit of torque. Oh, okay. Because it's fre- somewhat frequency dependent then. Y- yeah, I suppose so. And there are some plots that kind of show that. But yeah, we'll just we'll, we'll gloss over that and just say 10 to the minus 24. That's our benchmark right there. Okay, interesting. In like amplifiers and stuff, they often give noise metrics in terms of like volts per square root per square root hertz. Ah, like over a frequency range and it just has to do because like you're looking at power instead of just amplitude but it's like more intuitive to look at it as a square root i see okay that that makes some sense because they do talk about how the threshold for the sensitivity is at what point can you pick it out from just thermal noise oh instead of it being like this is a signal we got from our device cool okay interesting so probably gone a little too far ahead in the notes but uh that experiment looks pretty cool at least the diagram from the paper so what is the actual device that they're levitating and trying to begin spinning and measuring so the this technique for measuring torque at this sensitive scale is like i mentioned it's they're levitating a silica nanoparticle silica is just i think it's silicon dioxide which is sand okay And so what they have done is they have this silica nanoparticle, which is either a very small sphere or a a dumbbell shape where you actually have kind of like two spheres sort of smushed together. Hmm. Okay. And the size scale here is, you know, they have an image for it and the scale bar is like 100 nanometers or something like that. 
Um, so these very these small. things are very small. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't be able to see these with your eye. What's a hair like a micron wide? Oh, I think a hair is like fifty microns or something like that. Okay, so this is like like a thousand times smaller, smaller. than yeah. a, a, the width of a hair. Wow. Okay. And so the way that they levitate this is they they have it in a vacuum chamber and they bring this down to very low pressure and and then they actually shoot a laser at it hmm. and the laser exerts just like a radiation pressure on the particle and and keeps it suspended it's kind of like have you ever seen you know someone will take like a hair dryer and a ping pong ball or something like that and you can sort of like suspend a ping pong ball just using like a little stream of air oh yeah so it's just it's, just enough to sort of hold it up yeah kind of the, barely stable area yeah it's kind of similar concept so you have a laser beam particles in the beam and it gets suspended that way and then it's pretty cool the way that they actually measure what the particle is doing so the laser beam goes hits the particle and then it continues on out of the chamber and then they can actually measure the like the light they can actually collect the light of that laser beam and make measurements on it to see what the particle like how the particle has influenced that light wow okay so they know enough about the light before it hits the particle and then after it interferes with the particle they can start to figure out how fast it's spinning yeah well so not even not even spinning yet so just with it being there like they can or actually yeah so when it's spinning it changes the i guess it changes the polarization of the of the laser and uh and then when they measure that that can tell you what is the geometry of the nanoparticle like exactly how spherical or non-spherical is it uh it can tell you like what is the the moment of inertia of the particle which is like a measure of how easy it is to actually spin. Yeah, it just tells them all this useful information. And then it also tells them how fast it's spinning. That's amazing. That's so cool. Just with light. Yeah. But the question is then how, like, what's making it spin? I mean, and why why make it spin in the first place? So they're actually like, they can actually impart a torque on the particle itself. So with that laser that's that they're using to trap it and to levitate it, they can actually mm-hmm. change the polarization to a, and I'm going to need your help probably to explain why this works but they can make the laser beam um, circularly polarized instead of linearly polarized okay and i guess when the laser has circular polarization there's an angular momentum involved in that and that induces a torque on the particle and causes it to rotate but so i I might need your help a little bit to explain why like what is what does it mean when they talk about linear polarization versus circular polarization for a laser beam so uh, it's the same as like for a radio wave, like same electromagnetic radiation. And so in a linearly polarized wave, you can imagine um, your electric field is perpendicular to your magnetic field, but just pretend that your electric field sort of always maintains its same orientation. Like it always stays in the same direction. So your magnetic field is always pointing in one direction and your electric field in the other. With circularly polarized waves, they're just spinning and so you can like launch them such that they're spinning or filter them to do that with a linearly polarized wave that's why like polarized sunglasses work you just turn the filter so it's opposite the polarization of the light and then it gets rid of those bright reflections on things so okay so a circularly polarized laser would have some sort of like spinning component to it that would then cause this particle to start spinning up yeah yeah, the electric field and the magnetic field are constantly rotating. So it must, I guess, on a nano scale, interact enough with the particle to start spinning it. 
Okay, that's pretty cool. Very that's clever, awesome. uh, very clever technique there. Yeah. So yeah, I guess they get this thing spinning up, and then they make these measurements, and it'll spin up to some speed that's sort of determined by. And I kind of found this interesting. You're talking about this tiny particle. I mean, it's already like the size of the particle is not much larger than like a molecule in the in air. You know. Yeah. Uh, but what they say is that the speed at which it will spin is a balance between you know how much torque is being imparted by the laser and then how much drag is being imparted by like the air particles around this nanoparticle but i mean this thing is in vacuum already so there's very few particles around and like it's not like surrounded by a bunch of air the way that we are like surrounded by gazillions of molecules like it's probably not going to get hit by air molecules very often because it's very small itself yeah um so you can kind of get a sense of why this thing would spin up that as fast as it does. There's not really much to stop it from from spinning. That's so crazy. I mean, if it gets hit by an air molecule, like it might just bounce away. Yeah. Well, and they actually say that that's the limit of what stops them from going even faster is like once it gets spinning up to a certain speed, they eventually just lose the particle. It just gets <laughs> like it just flings out of the laser beam. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. Spin some pieces of what i mean sand spin some yeah. sand yeah spin, s- sand spinning it's kind of funny if you think about it because this is basically like a competition to see who can spin spis it's like a tongue twister too who can spin sand the fastest i guess yeah it, it basically is it's the, the, this team set the world record for fastest spinning sand i love these superlative articles because they're just cool you know they're just oh, like totally yeah awesome spin it as fast as you can yeah, it's kind of like that episode we did about the strongest magnetic field ever created. It's yeah. like, okay, I mean, I get that there are applications for this. Those applications are things that I don't really need in my life. But just like the fact that you did this is really freaking cool. You just appreciate it. It's hard and it's cool and it's usually big or powerful or crazy. Yeah, exactly. Or really small or really dark. I don't know. We've done a couple episodes like this. Yeah, totally. I was actually kind of amazed in this you know, not to go too off the rails of, of the paper itself, but like about how, uh, like how little was actually required, you know, resource wise to get this thing to happen. It was more just like a good technique versus like, oh, we were able to dump a lot more power in than the other team was able to do or something like that. I mean, they're huh. still, I mean, they're using lasers that are like, you know, you could probably buy these online easily. It's like, I mean, not, they're probably expensive, but um, available it's not right like they're not like military custom. grade power lasers they're like milliwatts wow and they're bringing these these vacuums down to pressures that are you know very low like 10 to the minus 5 10 to the minus 6 tor which is uh i'm not even gonna bother explaining the units but uh, but that's like the same thing that you know we in my own lab that we get chambers down to it's like that's not hard to do cool charlie you guys are gonna have to give them a run for their money well, that's the thing is like I was, uh, you know, looking at all the equipment in this experimental setup. I'm like, we actually have all the tools in our lab to do this. Yes. But we clearly don't have the know-how or the or the need to, I guess. Well, that leads me to my next question then. I mean, I know we talked about it a little bit at the beginning, but like how fast was this thing spinning again? So uh, the speed depended on, you know, the pressure in the vacuum, you know, like kind of how we discussed, like the drag is going to affect it. So it depended on the pressure and it depended on the power of the laser. But the fastest one that they were able to get was using one of the nano dumbbells. So like the kind of double sphere configuration. Mm-hmm. And it got up to 5.2 gigahertz rotation speed, which was like the headline said, 
equivalent to 300 billion revolutions per minute. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. And just to put this into perspective for you, Dan Carlin <laughs> style, the so we already said the dentist drill spins at 500,000 RPM, so nowhere close. And the fastest spinning natural object, which is a pulsar, spins at 43,000 RPM. So like, I also, mean, you're just... wow, I didn't realize a pulsar spins that fast, but that's well, cool. That's, I know, that's really cool in itself. Yeah. But even then, still... I mean, we're just com- like at this point, these this group is completely shattering anything that you would see in the natural world. 60 billion RPM. That's nuts. No, 300 so, billion. So I think 60 whoa, whoa, billion whoa, was 60. OK, 60 was billion was actually the previous record, which was set by this group as well. And I didn't I didn't read their paper. to see, I think is the same technique, but they must have just improved it somehow. They're like RPM hegemons. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're just they're just ruling over the world. And spinning things. And I kind of wonder, like, what's the limit? You know, how far until they can't spin anymore? <laughs> yeah. Keep spinning. I'm sure they could come up with a great theme song. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I want to hear I'm what you think their that. theme song should be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave it at that. But I will ask the next follow-up question of, it's really cool that they can spin it that fast, but how do you actually use that to measure torque like they were brought up in the beginning? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Like, it's cool that they can spin this thing, but why? <laughs> like, why do we yeah. need that? Yeah, so it's, they basically, like, if you have this thing spinning and you know, you already know the characteristics of it, you can observe, like, other things that might produce a force on it and how those change the spin rate and then back out what the torque that's being acted on it is. Oh, okay. So, for example... So we have a bunch of knowns. Yeah, so for example, like... You know, if it maxes out at 300 billion RPM and we know the size of the particle and its moment of inertia, then we can make a calculation and say, well, what's the torque of the air drag on the particle, which is not really a very useful thing. But there's other types of drags like that that you might be interested in measuring, such Mm -hmm. as the vacuum friction. Vacuum friction. You brought it back. Yeah. But again, I'm going to hold that off for another about five minutes. Dang, Charlie. Uh, Because there's still some interesting kind of technique stuff before we get into the application okay so based on the way that they've done this they so they they kind of like uh, i don't know if calibrate is really the right word but they take another laser so they have it already being suspended by one laser and now they shoot a whole nother laser at it that is being driven at some some frequency like the power is being driven at some frequency and so it's kind of like spinning up and spinning down according to like a known signal and they use Yeah, exactly. They're modulating it. And so they can, I guess they kind of use that to determine what is the torque being produced by this laser. When they see the, when they see the nanoparticle changing its rotational frequency and then compare it to the signal that's being put in by that externally driving laser, they can back out what's the torque from that externally driving laser. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. And I think, and the reason that they do this is to figure out how exactly how sensitive the device is is so again it's yeah i kind of said calibration but it's sort of more like uh like a validation almost okay well how sensitive is that for actually measuring the torque then so they using that technique with the externally driving laser they got to a sensitivity of 4.2 times 10 to the minus 27 newton meter per square root hertz wow that's super sensitive yeah, so just for context, what we said at the beginning was like the most sensitive uh, like nanofabricated torque sensors 
were 10 to the minus 24. And here we are, 10 to the minus 27. So that's a thousand times better sensitivity than what you could get with, you know, the previous best technique. Yeah. I mean, it's huge. I don't know what you would measure with that, except maybe vacuum friction. <laughs> vacuum like, friction. Tell us about it. Yeah. Well, so just like also for some context, the actual torque, since it's kind of confusing in that weird unit, the actual torque that we're talking about here is 4.7 times 10 to the minus 28 Newton meters. And that's with like a laser amplitude of 1.1 milliwatts. So yeah, going all the way back to Henry Cavendish experiment, measuring at 10 to the minus 7 Newtons. Now we're at 10 to the minus 28 Newtons, which is insane. Do you think when they finish the experiment, they're like, put that in your Cavendish, Henry? (laughs) Um, I'm sure that they said that, yes. Just, you know. That's actually in the paper. Everyone tells you to put yourself in, in other people's shoes. I'm just trying to imagine like that feeling of success. Yeah. It's just whooping Henry Cavendish at his own game. Yeah. Yeah. Take that guy who's been dead for 200 years. <laughs> hey. Well, cool. So that's very sensitive. Yeah. I've been, I've been putting you off too long now. I feel bad that I've shirked your vacuum I, friction questions. I just want to know what vacuum friction is. Yeah. Well, drum roll, please. We're finally going to get to it. I can't. <laughs> that's the best I can yeah. do. It's okay. I'll, uh, I'll clean it up in post. Okay. Thanks, Charlie. <laughs> so what is it? So it is, um, yeah, they say that an optically levitated nanorotor like this will be able to detect the uh, long sought after vacuum friction. And what this actually is, is imagine like you just have a ball that's like spinning in outer space, like total vacuum, right? Mm-hmm. In theory, it should never slow down since there's no outside forces to act on it. It'll just spin forever. Yep. But it turns out that like, I guess... In space, there's these photons that are constantly like popping in and out of existence. And I, th- I think they call these like virtual particles, which I'm sure you've kind of heard once in a while if you're ever reading some, I don't know, physics article or something like that. It's something I don't quite understand, but the gist is these particles come into and out of existence very rapidly. Hmm. But just because they disappear quickly doesn't mean that they don't actually do anything. They like these virtual photons can still exert like this radiation pressure that a normal f- photon would able be able to do. Oh, okay. So that means that if it's spinning in this vacuum, even though there's technically like no air or no particles really around, all these virtual particles will hit it and cause it to slow down. It'll actually produce a drag on on the object that's spinning. Sweet. So this is a good way to detect that. Yes. So this is something that's so been sensitive. theorized and they're pretty sure is is correct, but they've just never been able to actually measure it in the lab because they've never had mm-hmm. the kind of sensitivity required. And it's cool. I, f- I found this article from a new scientist that was written back in like 2012, maybe. And it's, spe- and it's actually about, it was about a group that was doing this optically levitated nanoparticle technique back then, but they hadn't quite gotten to the level of sensitivity required. And so one of the researchers who was doing it at the time, it says, quote, the experiment would require an ultra high vacuum and high precision lasers to trap the nanoparticles, commissions that are conditions that are demanding but reachable in the foreseeable future. So I thought it was kind of cool. Like you're looking at an article where they're saying, oh, in the near future, we'll be able to do this. And now here we are reading the paper that's saying now we're going to be able to in do the near it. Future. Yeah. Life is good. Yeah. Cool time to be alive, you know. Spinning things at 300 billion RPM. Yeah. What's up, world? So they do this measurement or they do this calculation to find out like what would be the conditions required for us to measure this. And they say that if they were to take one of their 
silica nanospheres rotate it at uh, one gigahertz. So only a fifth of what they've actually been able to achieve. And they put it very close to like another large flat surface, you know, very mm-hmm. close, meaning like like 100 nanometers away. So like right up next to Whoa. it. Okay. Um, they, and they spin it up, then they'll actually see the drag of these virtual photons slowing the object down. And the drag that's that they'd be able to measure or that, that they expect would be produced by the vacuum friction would be about 10 to the minus 27 Newton meters, which, if you recall, is pretty much exactly the sensitivity that they're able to measure with their technique. Oh, wow. So, I mean, they're still very just like right up against the sensitivity that they need. It's close. Yes. But, you know, given that they were able to like improve the quality of this, I mean, in 2012, they were saying like, well, maybe one day we'll be able to do this. And here we are only seven years later being like, yeah, we can pretty much do it now. Oh, totally. I mean, I'm not trying to poo-poo their work or anything, but it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you'd you'd have to make the measurement, which would be hard. It's not like they're just going to plug it in tomorrow and like measure vacuum friction no they're not like and we have a forthcoming paper where we show this it's like they've developed this technique and now you know some other physicist will be able to do that experiment and and prove that vacuum friction is real hopefully fingers crossed sweet yeah don't jinx it well that's awesome yeah so it's cool just like i mean i would never have like thought oh cool you spin this thing fast but like what's it really going to do for us but it's like this fundamental physics question that's um i don't know it's just it's a cool concept and a cool application. Yeah. It would also be a very sexy experiment to fly in space. Because like we have to fly this in the vacuum of space. Dude, that's actually this fundamental thing. True. That actually would be a really cool thing to fly like on the ISS or something. Yeah. Throw it outside. Yeah. I mean I've heard it sounds like the area around the ISS is like super dirty. Oh, that's true, yeah. And you're still in the atmosphere and stuff. That's true. But all the more reason to do like a geostationary orbit CubeSat. To fly it. A little CubeSat flying these <laughs> giant lasers. 30,000 miles away. Yeah. Just an idea. Yeah. Patent pending. Patent. All right. Yeah. Go submit that. Yeah. Well, cool. That's sweet. Like I said before, I love these superlative papers. So I'm happy you found such a cool one. Yeah. Yeah. It's always exciting. And uh, actually, I almost just directly quoted one of the authors of this paper. In Newsweek, they interviewed Tong Kang Lee, who was one of the who's an assistant professor of electrical computer engineering at Purdue. And uh, they said, it's always exciting to set a world record. Boom. Hard to argue with that. Yeah. But it's funny because in, you know, it was only like last year that they set the previous world record for this. So like when they're saying it's always exciting to set a world record, they're like, dot, 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 again. (laughs) (laughs) Humble brag. Yeah. Sweet. Was there anything else you wanted to add? No, I mean, that's pretty much the whole paper. And, uh, you know, sometimes at the end of these, we say, and the news got it so wrong, and they totally misrepresented this. But in this case, they actually pretty much nailed it. I mean, all the s- sources that I saw did a really good job covering this research. They had some good kind of like breakdowns from the researchers themselves. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll, we'll post that Newsweek article. I think it's a really good rundown of what happened here. And there was also a new Atlas article that had a pretty dope picture of these, of like the researchers in the lab, like with their lasers and their goggles it just is like the most science Sick. it looks like a stock photo like i had to like make sure that it wasn't <laughs> a stock photo but it's like it's really cool sweet can't yeah can't wait to see that we'll post that up too for everyone so you can see it yeah well thanks charlie and thank you everyone for joining us again as always 
please check us out on social media. Don't forget to tell a friend if you've been enjoying the content. And please do subscribe to Patreon, patreon.com slash paperboyspod. It means a lot to Charlie and myself. We put a lot of time and effort into this podcast. So it helps to keep it going, um, gets us new equipment and content so we can keep this this paperboy chugging. Yeah, yeah. No, it's been really and good. I was trying to make a train analogy, not like <laughs> a boy drinking analogy. Mm. But yeah, to keep this paperboy uh, hawking papers on the corner. Yes. Uh, yes. No, but the Patreon has been really actually huge for the show. Just we've been able to upgrade some of our equipment, like getting, you know, better cameras and hopefully getting some more better like sound quality equipment in the near future. I don't know. It's just it's been really good and really good to interact with the listeners who subscribe on there um, who have been giving us awesome feedback on the bonus episodes, too. We've just been hearing people are loving them. So, yeah. I feel like I sound like, so much for- like Donald Trump right now. Like, oh, people love our bonus episodes. They're the best. They're great. Everyone tells me they're the best. We're going to make them great still. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Please join us again next week for another exciting edition of Paper Boys. Thanks for listening. <laughs>